Welcome to Collector's Corner, the premier NFT art podcast. We help collectors gain and maintain their edge, all while appreciating amazing art. We're excited to help you in your collecting journey. Let's dive in. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Collector's Corner. We are doing another episode of Into the Collection. And this time, we are going to be talking about Archetype by Chettle Golid. And my apologies if I mispronounced that. I actually looked up a few things on YouTube, but I still can't quite pronounce it. I don't think I have the, the right phonemes or phenomes to get it done. But either way, we're really excited for this episode. I am your host, Aston Cloud. That's what I go by on Twitter and on Discord. I go by P in real life, joined by my good friend and co-host, Jared. How are you doing today, Jared? I'm doing wonderful as always. I can't complain one bit. Jared is of the 8NAP Fund which is continuing to grow and become the premier NFT art fund. My words, not his. I I shill his fund on this podcast and try to make him slightly uncomfortable, but I'm excited for him to continue to do that. And so I want people to know about what he's up to. Much appreciated, dude. You're too generous. Yeah. So so let's uh, let's hop right into this episode. We're going to be talking about archetype and I'm just going to share my screen here and show you our DECA gallery, which we use to really highlight a lot of the features that we think are important for collectors. And as we kind of tee that up, let's talk a little bit about any disclaimers. I do not own any pieces from this collection. I believe you do not either. Is that right, Jared? None in my collection either. Okay, wonderful. Uh, And just a few housekeeping things at the beginning of every episode. So we will have timestamps at the bottom of this episode, and we'll go through the background of the artist in the collection, why we wanted to talk about this collection, then dive more deeply into the various traits and features of this collection that we think are going to be relevant for collectors. And then because this is so visual, we really recommend you listen to this on YouTube and really watch it on YouTube, but we know that not everybody can do that. So we will be on all your major podcasting platforms, Apple, Spotify, et cetera. And we create these galleries on DECA.art. DECA is a a online digital gallery company that's uh, also interesting. We have an episode about them, episode three. Go back and check it out if you're interested to see what they're up to. But really, it allows us to showcase this art. And so you can listen along and take a look at that or come back to this whenever you want. It'll be a summary and resource for you. That'll be in the show notes. And uh, as always... Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting us. Please subscribe, like, comment, review, reach out to us. Again, we're on Twitter and Discord all the time. We love to hear from you. Okay, so let's jump in. Jared, what was your overall sentiment on your collection? Or what is your overall sentiment on this collection archetype? I actually really enjoy it a ton. The geometric nature and the the symmetry versus randomness is something that like jumps out to me automatically. I also love those subtle touches. Like the the different edge shading, edge shading, which we'll get into in a little bit, and then even like the the little the little nuances to to some of the the pieces. Overall, I think it's um, on the surface it looks very square, no pun intended, and it just it's something that I think is beautiful in its own right. I think that uh, the six hundred piece set is is perfectly sized for all the variations, and and I think it's. Honestly, I think it's a very beautiful, beautiful project. Yeah, this is one that I have been very excited to dive into. It is, in my mind, really a blue chip project, both in the appearance and the you know all the things we look at for a collection. I think it's widely considered a blue chip, one of the top 
NFT, long-form generative art projects out there at this point in time. This point in time is Friday, September 9th. And uh, I just love the simplicity behind it and the story behind it. I did a lot of research into Golid, the artist, really interesting stuff. And so, yeah, I, I had a lot of fun researching this and getting ready for this episode because it is a collection that has a really high esteem in my mind with a fantastic artist. And again, I'll get into the, the, the way that such a simple concept results in these varying outputs, I find very intriguing, for lack of a better word. So let's go ahead and jump into the just some background here. This archetype was released on February 27th, 2021. It was an Artblocks curated project. There were 600 pieces, as Jared mentioned. And uh, as of yesterday, when I took a look, there were 298 unique holders, so about 50%. So pretty, pretty well distributed there. And I think it's also important to take a look at the history of the artist to understand how they may have gotten to this work. There's actually a ton of information about Golid out there. Uh, so he was initially a data scientist and a systems engineer. And actually, I found this wonderful article. So on the screen, I'm going to hop over to an article. Um, yes, here it is. So there's an interview with Chettle Golid on ArtGnome, which is a blog. I, anyone who's interested, I'd recommend going through this. Uh, it shows a lot of his great pieces of work, and he goes a lot into his inspiration and how he thinks about programming. But he was actually a designer at first and then got interested in data science and visualizing data and uh, switched. It sounds like he switched his education a little bit and focused more on that. And as he was doing his his day-to-day job, he was also a systems engineer, he started attempting visualize, uh, visualizing data and realized that he could create beautiful visualizations, tweaking his code here and there, and kind of fell into generative art. And one thing I wanted to highlight from this piece here is he mentions that his inspiration comes from vastly different places, but he really likes discovering intricate patterns and structures and trying to isolate those characteristics and then generalize them. And he has this concept where he tries to take very simple code and make a few tweaks to create a range of outputs. And you, you can kind of already see it here in this image I'm showing on the screen. This is at the start of the article, which look uh, essentially like cube type uh, archetypes, which we'll talk to you about what those are. And just many, many, many of them. So I, I, he's just a really interesting artist. And another thing that I love about him is he has his website here called Generated Space, generated.space. And he has this philosophy of really helping other artists, generative artists, come up and help them with their art. He doesn't hide his code. This is all open source code that anyone can take a look at. We can take a look at this Hedgehog 5. Remember, I was looking at this one. I thought it was cool. So this is all open source. You can grab this code, tweak it, play around with it. And he mentions how a lot of people helped him on his way up. And that was really a big part of him how he got to where he was and, and he's giving back now. A funny thing, Jared, actually, I wanted to tell you this. In this article, at the end of it, so uh, this is October 2020 that this article is written. The interviewer asks Chettle, who are some other generative artists that you would recommend looking into? And he mentions Matt Delorier and he mentions Tyler Hobbs. And the interviewer was like, oh, Tyler Hobbs, like, who's that? I've never heard of him. So it's it's funny to see that you know now in the generative art world, Tyler Hobbs is such a big name, but only what two years ago, not even two, two years, years ago. ago. 
he was somewhat unknown. So uh, things are moving fast. Things are moving fast. Uh, another thing that I think our listeners slash viewers would like is uh, I'm flipping over now to something called Chromotome. And again, this will be in the show notes. So this is something that Golid put together. He, as I mentioned, he was a, a designer before, like a visual designer. And he really has an interest in color. And over the years, he's been compiling different color palettes and just putting them up. Again, open source, anyone can grab these and try to utilize them. He finds that these colors work really well together. And this is something that you'll see a lot in Archetype. Part of the variety of the collection comes from the range of color palettes he uses. And that also results in some hidden traits, uh, things that don't show up in the metadata. And if you take a look at this, you'll see that a lot of the titles and names he gives his palettes in Archetype are also in here. So you can see where some of it comes from. And for anyone who's listening who is an aspiring digital art curator or artist themselves, this is an interesting resource that you can use. So that was, you know, oh, I I almost forgot. I have to give huge thanks to Golid because he allowed us to use the image of one of his archetypes in our logo. So our collector's corner logo, well, it's kind of small here. It is one of the corner type archetypes because uh, it's collector's corner. And so huge shout out to him. Super nice guy. Uh, you know, was very responsive on Discord. I'd never spoken with him before. I was an unknown quantity and he was really nice about it, which is great. Last thing I'll jump over to when talking about Golid's background. And actually, this segues quite well into Archetype is he is another one of those artists who works in public and puts his work out there. And if you go into his Instagram page, you can kind of see the evolution of his technique as it relates to Archetype. He also has other works that are in a different, let's call it a different vein of generative art, not in this sort of rectangular methodology that he uses in archetype. But you can take a look here and see a lot of his really interesting outputs that he's been sharing over the years. So really recommend folks check that out. And let's talk just a little bit about, you know, just a tiny bit of history in archetype. We'll hop back over to his blog here. Um, but Golid has a blog, a Medium article, where he discusses archetype. And I just wanted to highlight this so you can understand sort of the technique here. And I'm showing an image on the screen here, which is a picture in there, where he describes how the basic premise of archetype is to take a rectangle and segment it in a random way, and then sub-segment, like if you look going down vertically, sub-segment each of those initial segments in different ways, and then add like coloring and shading to it. And so this is a reasonably simple algorithm, but as we'll see, it can have a range of outputs there. And there have been, I think, a few other collections, notably most recently Factura, that seem to follow a similar style. Uh, I cannot say who came first or second, but in terms of working with this style, the archetype was launched first. And I think given the success of the project, it has led to some of those, let's call it a popularization of this technique. Anything else, Jared, that You've heard about Golid or the collection that you want to highlight before we talk about our framework for why this collection? No, as always, you do a ridiculously thorough job and your passion for the artists and their inspiration truly show. I'm I'm sitting on mute just enamored with your description, so nothing else I can add. You were too kind. Honestly, I stayed up late last night just reading about 
this stuff because it, it's so cool to me. It makes me want to be a generative artist. Uh, but obviously there are only so many hours in the day. We'll start by helping you collect first, and then we'll see if that ever happens. Let's move on to why we chose this collection. We've touched on a few of these things. The first thing that we'll look at, and we have a seven-point framework for this. This will be up on the DECA gallery once uh, this episode is published. The first part is the aesthetics or the visuals, the, the eye test, if you will. And I'm going to hop over on the screen to Archipelago so you can see a range of the, sorry, so you can see the range of what outputs we have here. But Jared, I'm going to throw this one over to you. Aesthetics, visuals, how do you feel about that in terms of this collection? I think that the aesthetics are simple on its surface. And the more you dig into the, the particulars, it becomes complex. But overall, general eye test, I think it's very, very intriguing, whether you're into symmetrical outputs, similar to me, whether you're into monochromatic, polychromatic, uh, varied outputs. Uh, the, the outputs of this is absolutely mind-bending when it comes to how well I think it captures anybody's particular interest. And I think that's part of the reason why there's been so much uh, intrigue with the project overall. So, I mean, from its initial eye test, I absolutely think it passes. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful project. Yes, it really is. And as I'm scrolling through Archipelago here, you can see the range of colors. Now, I'll come back to those palettes. I think before doing the research for this episode, I didn't appreciate how in-depth, how varied and some colors that I would never even think fit well together, uh, like this one, number three over here. This is the paddle palette, and it's very captivating. And I would not have thought about mixing these colors together. And I think he really, really excels from that standpoint. So for me as well, the aesthetics are really interesting. I love some of these that are very symmetric, uh, as you liked as well, Jared. So. We'll check that off for our first point of our checklist. Why this collection? For me, being an engineer by schooling, you know, there, there's something logical oriented in my brain, and, and these outputs definitely hit on it on a regular basis. It's a, it's a, it, it has a deep resonance with me. It looks good. Absolutely. Going on to the second point of our checklist, which is the artist. Does is this an artist that we think could? continue to drive value back to their collection? And the answer is yes, uh, in that, you know, Gullit, he actually talks about it. He he really only makes this art because he wants to. He's not very influenced by the crowd, which is interesting. He's a Norwegian uh, and he it sounds like he lives in a small town in Norway. And so it, it's really cool to hear somebody who's not as influenced by honestly, a lot of the hype that can come around these days with NFTs and generative art. But in addition to that, he seems very, very thoughtful about his work. He only puts out a few things here and there. Um, I, I just really like his approach. And I think the way that he balances keeping his privacy while still interacting with his fans and his collectors is quite admirable as well. So I feel quite good about him as an artist and being that sort of charismatic leader of his collection and his collectors, if you will. And I agree. I think that like he's super engaging and it's really about the, the, the community that's starting to form around it. You're seeing it not only through archetypes, but other affiliated projects. I mean, it's, it's cool to see 
the community starting to to rally behind them. Absolutely. So third thing on our list for why this collection, uh, holders. You want to take this one, Jared? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel starting to feel like a little bit of a broken record, but you're starting to see the same people step up to the plate. I mean, recently you're seeing curated jump in and, and buy two of the the highly coveted limited to 25 uh, without a frame. They're they're stacking corners and I mean they they're involved. There's obviously some potential there. Flamingo's a huge holder of everything. You're starting to see you know, those premier collectors stacking. And I found it interesting when you noted 298 holders. I mean, on average, that means anybody who has a wallet on average holds at least two or on average two. So obviously there's going to be people with more or some people with less, but you know, I, the people who hold these are not letting go of them. It's a really intriguing dynamic and, and watching people just collect and stack for the long term. Yeah, absolutely. And for folks listening who don't know, Curated is an NFT fund that has been well known to have a good eye and pick good pieces. Flamingo is an NFT DAO, probably one of the first ones that has like a billion dollars worth of NFTs under assets or, you know, with the bear market, maybe it's down a bit, but it's it's still a lot. Very early, very sophisticated folks there. And uh, so I, I agree, the holders there are are quite strong. So let's move on to the fourth point, sentiment. How do you feel about the sentiment in this collection, Jared? I love the sentiment in the sense that like, um, I, I think that there's 600 and it's the perfect size for to showcase the outputs. Sentiment-wise, I think it's very well embraced by the collector community. Um, I do think that it's more oriented towards the art enthusiast and collector rather than the you know, that buy and hold type rather than the the flip and, and quick profits. So, uh, you know, I, I really relate to that where the sentiment is art oriented, especially given the, the nature of the artist and, and the project. But I mean, very positive sentiment from the, from the community right now. Yeah, absolutely. And this is a relatively old project. It's, I mean, it's, like a year, roughly a year and a half, which doesn't sound like it's been that long, but it is long for these long-form generative art projects that are on the blockchain. And to your point about it not being for flippers, I think that a lot of the flippers probably got washed out. And, and we'll we'll take a look at some of the trends. There was an art block summer, and a lot of people bought this for quite a high price. So I'm guessing some flippers got burned, and uh, also just standing the test of time. You know, the first few collections that we've talked about have not been around more than nine months. And now we're seeing what some dynamics look like for a collection that has been around for quite a bit longer. Let's move on to the fifth point, historic significance, or the fifth reason why you might want to collect this from archetypes. You know, I, it's still a little bit hard for me to say that this is a historic collection. It has been around for quite some time, as I just mentioned, but I do see a lot of projects sort of, let's say, taking cues from this project. And I, I know it's not exactly the same, but Factura comes to mind. And I don't know the nuances of the code behind it. But this general idea where you start with a, let's call it a shape, and then you sub-segment it and add shading and color, that seems to be the case. And we have talked, you, you touched briefly on Decagons, which is a, another Golid project. but 
The decagons themselves are very similar to archetypes, and those are quite ubiquitous. So I could see, you know, if decagons continue to grow and become really, really large, right now there's like 40,000 of them, I could see this project also becoming kind of accruing mindshare because it could be seen as the original to that. What are your thoughts on potential historic significance or current historic significance of this project? Yeah, so this is season two for Art Blocks Curated. And to put it into context, we're currently in the middle of season seven. So when you talk about being around for a while, given in the context of NFTs and Art Blocks, you know, there's only three projects in season one. So it's, you know, I would say it, it is historically significant. I also would agree with the sentiment that you shared, which is, you know, this is defining on that geometric and, and subdividing. And I think that just as people relate flow fields to hubs, you know, Galid has the this subdividing and he's kind of the OG there. So I think that over a, a X amount more months or years, you'll see the historical significance of this and grow. That that's my my prediction. Everybody relates this type of aesthetic to Garland, and I think that he's way more dynamic than this. But you know, this has really cemented him in that generative field. So I think that this will just play out in time to be more and more historically significant. I think so as well. And I recall when Factura launched, people were saying, "Oh, is this just like Archetype?" And it's because they related back to Archetype, um, even though I'm sure there's plenty of differences in the code and the approach and whatnot. Okay, collection breadth. This is the sixth thing that we look at. As I've been scrolling and I've alluded to before, this collection is, there's quite a bit of breadth. You'll see that in our gallery as we go through this. So I won't belabor that point. And the seventh thing that we look at is what have the price trends been? How have things been going for this collection in the numbers? And so we just flipped over, for those listening on audio, to article.io. Uh, this is what we like to look at for price trends. Um, do you want to talk through this, Jared? I know you're looking at this. I'm happy to as well. You just let me. Yeah, I've, I've been really fascinated with this chart. If you can flip over on the all-time from ETH to USD, I think even in ETH terms, you'll see this like crazy, crazy parabolic rise during the you know that. Yeah, look at August 2021. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it was just like it, it's insane. I feel bad for the people who got in at that time. And then you've seen this general retracement, but uh, you're seeing a really good level of support and resistance, in my opinion, you know, around that 50K mark or the the ETH terms, uh, roughly 20. I mean, it shows a break in the 20 ETH mark, but that was a, a stolen archetype that just recently sold. Um, yep, switch over to ETH. Yeah, so right I mean, yep. Yep. Yeah. So it's, I, I, and you're seeing not a lot of people drop below that. So I think it's got a very interesting chart that I'm going to be following really, really closely in the sense that uh, the floor is super thin. And I could see after a couple of sales and, and some people rushing in, I could see this absolutely going bananas upwards. But it, it is appearing to have a lot of support and resistance around that 20 ETH level, which, which as a collector, especially if you have a long-term perspective, is a really good place to be. And to me, that that's where I'm baselining any buys against. It, it feels like a a good line in the sand, so to speak. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. And on the bottom right here of the screen is this uh, sort of floor depth chart that you were talking about, Jared. Actually, it's easier to see here the distribution. So once you get, you know, 10 get bought, 12 get bought, pretty soon you're around a 40 Ether floor. And sure, some will come in and list. Uh, the other thing to note is there are only 27 listed at the moment. That is not a lot. And that's another thing that we like to see for a collection. That's another thing we like to see that would indicate that a collection is doing well and continuing to hold that sentiment and gravitas for collectors who are not interested in selling. Another thing we should note, going back to the point that this is the first collection that we're talking about that's been around for more than a year, this is persisting despite... Uh, taxes, right? Because in the US, where a lot of these collectors are based, if you hold on to a NFT for more than one year, you have a lower tax rate, significantly lower tax rate on any income. Now, of course, a lot of people are probably underwater, so maybe that doesn't matter as much. But in general, you know, I expect a lot of collections to see some sales around that one-year mark as people try to optimize their taxes who are just not interested in holding on. And despite that, uh, this collection has continued to do well you know, past that one-year mark. Yeah, if you scroll down one more chart that I always look at is that market cap versus the cost basis. You can kind of see that cost basis serving as a pretty good support throughout the, you know, the historical market cap. So that's something that I find very intriguing just a, another data point for for reference of of where people are into it for the project, the amount they've invested versus the value. So it's a right, it's a cool reference there. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. I'm glad you pointed that one out because I have yet to fully figure out how to incorporate that into my analysis. Just this this is eight nap fund, my friends. Eight nap fund, and as you. As you flip over to USD, you see, I mean, it's hugging that line. I mean, people are at that break, generally speaking, on average, people are at that break even point. So it's a, you know, it feels like there's a good support there. It does. Absolutely. I don't think it's going to go significantly lower. And again, time just sort of helps you reach that equilibrium. Okay. Well, let's jump into the review of the collection. So we are now, for those listening on audio, over onto our DECA gallery. You can find this in the show notes. And we are going to go through each of the categories that we feel like has a significant impact uh, defined by either a rarity impact, a visual uh, distinction that you'll be able to see, or a price distinction. And so there are six categories within Archetype. There is coloring strategy, framed, layout, palette, scene, and shading. And we're only just going to touch on coloring strategy uh, because it doesn't seem to make as much of a difference in terms of how folks have been collecting. And it is a little bit technical and hard to recognize. And then we'll jump into all of the other ones. And actually for coloring strategy, I wanted to hop over to the uh, blog that Golid made and uh, he has some explanations here. It, it gets a little bit technical, so I won't go into the weeds. For anyone who's interested, I recommend you take a look and read about it. But essentially, as each piece gets sectioned and subsectioned, uh, each of those rectangles, the colors within those sections can follow different patterns. That's what it refers to. However, uh, and sorry, in this, there is this the single coloring strategy is the most rare. 
with 67, about 11%. And the group coloring strategy is the most common with 272 out of 600 having that, which is about 45%. Then the other two are uh, main with 25% and random with 19%. And you know, I couldn't see a real price premium for any of these. Uh, I mentioned the rarities just now. Visually, it's hard to look at a piece and say, oh yeah, I know what coloring strategy that is. So that, that's kind of my litmus for this. So we didn't dive too deeply into that. And if anybody wants to learn more, they can go check out our show notes and, and find that that blog there. So the one that Jared, you talked about is uh, Framed. You mentioned this before with curated buying some of these. You want to tell us about Framed? Yeah, Framed's pretty easy. It's, uh, it's very binary. You're either framed or you're not framed. Framed, as you can see on screen, has a border. The border's coordinated in a color type to match the palette, and they're consistent across the palette. And then unframed does not have that. And you can see it, uh, again, on screen, the, the blocking goes all the way to the edges. You know, Again, this is something that I feel others have picked up and implemented in their projects. One that comes to mind to me is one that I had picked up. It was a GM Dow drop. And, and it has a similar sentiment, the plasticity. So that borderless or unframed, you know, it's a, it's a, again, it's really binary. It's either there or it's not there. And then there's only 25 of the unframed. So very, very rare. Yes, extremely rare. 25 or about 4% of the unframed here. And they make a, a visual distinction, but I... I think that really people collect these more for the rarity because I don't find the visual distinction to be too dramatic. And if we hop over to an article to see the price differences here, we'll sort by floor and we'll look at frames. Uh, there are, actually, there aren't any frames for sale, so it's hard to say. Yeah, there's none for sale. They're, they're mostly off-market. I think they're going for somewhere between 60 and 80 ETH. And for context, I think the floor right now is 22 to 25 so there is a, a multiple. Um, I personally like them. I also like the frames. So I agree with you that it, it's more about rarity and the fact that it's one of twenty-five within the within the collection. But you know, I think it's a, a unique little twist on on the output. I really dig it. I, look, I, I like it as well. Uh, I guess what I was trying to say is I don't think it's worth an almost you know let's call it three to four x floor. For that, and so I think that price action is reflective of people collecting on rarity as opposed to purely aesthetics in that case. But either way, it's good to know if you see one of these for cheap, you, you should get them, especially if you like it more, uh, because I think that these really shouldn't be near the floor given how rare they are. And so here's another uh, version of the frame versus not. This is on a different palette. And I point that out because I love, I want to really showcase to all our listeners and viewers the range of palettes here and the colors. So we'll have quite a few shown here. Let's move on to layout. Jared, do you, what, you, you're on a roll, man. Why don't you talk to us about layout? <laughs> I'd be more than happy to. Layout, there are three different, I'll call it categories. There's balance, order, and chaos, with balance being roughly half of the of the collection at 325 total. Order having 179 of the output, or rough, just short of a little over 25% of it, and then chaos with a total of 96. So I think that when you look at these, the, the one that's most logical to me is the order. Order to me 
has that uh, what I called in reference more of that symmetrical look. I think that to me, this is personally my favorite. Do you have a favorite out of all of the three? Just out of curiosity. I do. I love the order. I love the symmetry in them. I actually had to hold myself back from only putting orders up on this deck of gallery because I, I just know. kept coming back to I them. Too. And uh, it's interesting uh, if you like when you dive into the weeds. Uh, Gola talks about how the order palette is just one big section. So it and it's essentially one section that will then get subdivided in symmetric ways. Whereas on the opposite end of the spectrum is the chaos palette, which has tons and tons of little sections that can that then become subdivided in different little ways. So it brings a lot more randomness and entropy to it and the balance. Yeah, I, I love that discussion of entropy. You know, your your notes here say it resulting in more entropy. And I think that that's just a perfect description of it. You know, that that amount of energy that just it exudes out of the pieces more than than any other of these three different layouts. It, it's really, really, it, you start to feel it. Yes. And you feel it. I mean, chaos is a perfect word. And I have to give Gola credit for the term entropy. He he used it, but it is perfect. The randomness there. Beautiful. And I love this blue spider palette. I really wanted to show you this one or show yeah, off. It's gorgeous. And also this Revolution palette, which I think is very cool. Again, for those looking on screen, on the left here, we have order in the middle, balance, chaos on the right. And you can see how it influences, really you notice the influence, yes, in the shapes, but it really sticks out with the colors, which is again, Golden's uh, use of colors. Sorry, go ahead. And for me, we touched on balance, but you know, I think they have these like, I'll call them like, more heavier blocks that kind of like weigh it down and create that balance. So again, I think it's the perfect description of this, that blocking is is more prominent. Uh, everything's more moderately sized, but you know, it really does create that balance amongst the piece when you have that blocking that, that, uh, that, that kind of anchors down the piece. Absolutely. And in terms of prices, if you take a look over here, we're back on article. The chaos being the most rare, as we mentioned, there's only about uh, 16% of them that are chaos, has a significant price premium at 50 Ether floor right now, uh, relative to the collection floor, floor of 22. Uh, order is next at a 30 Ether floor at the moment, and balance is the being the most common uh, is, is at the floor. I... Don't know if you have a real take on what collectors say about this. I haven't talked to too many people. I personally, again, I, I have a feeling that the chaos is uh, more highly valued because of its rarity. I just love the orders, man. And obviously, I'm biased here, but do you have a view uh, beyond what we're seeing here on article as to the floor prices and premiums collectors put on these? I don't have any, and it's partly due to the fact that you mentioned earlier, there's only 27 listed. It's hard to get a good data set, but from a collectability perspective, uh, I agree with you. I lean towards order, and even in my top three, chaos, there's a chaos in there. I think that with the right palette, the chaos is really command a, a, a really, really high premium for that presence that it has. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. For me, uh, when the time is right, I will be collecting a lot of orders because I just I, I can't get over them. And I think you can make a lot of cool sets with these orders as well, the order types. Awesome. Let, let's move on to palette. So we've alluded to this a little bit. 
the palette refers to the color scheme that is within each piece. Uh, interestingly, the way that Bolid created Archetype, not every color needs to be expressed. And uh, this right here is one of the palettes that I enjoy, the No Walk palette. And you can see here that this middle piece, which is number 279, um, this is taking too long to load, uh, it, it has blues and oranges, but it doesn't have the yellows and sort of the light oranges that are here on this piece on the left. And the same with the right. So that's one interesting thing to note about palettes. The other thing is there are 42 of these. Three of them only showed up once. Actually, in his blog, Golet talks about how his favorite, or one of his favorites, was the, the Spider King that only showed up once. And there's a couple others that we'll, we'll show you in a second. And the most pieces that any palette has is 36, so you know 6% of the collection. So it's really, really varied here. And I'll just show you another palette that I really, really like, the Rosewood. Again, I don't, I wouldn't normally have thought of these colors together, uh, but they, I think they look great. And of course, I'm biased towards these order types. The one on the left and the right are both orders. And uh, let's let's hop down to some of your palettes and hear your thoughts on the palettes in general, Jay Paz. Yeah, I mean, palettes in general, we, we've touched on it, but I'll be very brazen to say outright that there's 42 palettes in total. So we're going to cover only a fraction of what it is. You have to go through the the set in order to to get a good appreciation for it. And as you stated, it is just so complex. The coloring is unique. I mean, th this is a really, really amazing, amazing series specifically for the palettes. The Shelter palette in particular, I was enamored with. There's only five of them, which I would consider pretty rare. I, I can't even find like the history on them because they don't come up too much. I think that the thing that attracted me to this is you have that traditional Christmas type coloring of like the green and red that plays together, but then like the integration of the the gray, it really, really just it allows the colors to pop a little bit more brilliantly, and at the same time, it just plays well against it. It, it for only being five in the collection, a little bit sad because I may never own one, but it, it is, I just felt a very unique representation of coloring. And to your point, on the order side, I mean, on screen, look at that thing. It's just brilliant. You have this field of gray with the the greens and then, a, a, and of course, on, owned by Blackbird. Surprise, surprise. And, and then like the red accents it's against the, the gray. It, it's just a, such a beautiful, beautiful execution. Uh, in my opinion, so you, you said Blockbird ones. So. Oh yeah, Blockbird's got like two of these, two of your five. There you go. Yeah, so I ain't never gonna see those. So, <laughs> and that was one of those things. Is I tried to look at like palettes, palettes that were more rare. This was like my favorite of the rare, and I called it like semi-rare. Uh, would be the next one is that um, Cold Duo, right? On screen it doesn't show up as much, but this on my screen it shows up more of like a Tiffany blue, and I just found this to be absolutely beautiful and I especially love the ones that you curated here for the for the deca gallery that one on the left you just get this beautiful wide open flat white space with no shading it, it's just uh, absolutely stunning and then against the the blues and how they pop it's just you know with there only being 11 of them i just felt that uh, the playfulness of these these colors and shading was something that was uh, magnificent and I hadn't seen in, in another another collection, quite honestly. Yeah, you know, I hadn't looked too deeply into the Cold Duo palette until you mentioned it, or even the Shelter one, and I agree with you. And the Cold Duo is one of these where you get really a monochromatic output 
for the most part. And there are a few other ones, but this has a very soft touch to it that I really enjoyed. And, uh, you know, we got, we got a corner type over here, which we'll, we'll get to in a second. Uh, that is awesome. And I, I thought that you could make some really cool sets here with the cold duo. I thought that this almost looked like a, you see how there's like a little corner here. It almost looks like this is a continuation and, uh, well, this doesn't quite continue, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's really interesting how these outputs came about. And, uh, I'll, I'll take this last one, Jared. I know this was one of your favorites, but, uh, I wanted to point it out cause I really like this one too. Hotshot is the name of this palette. This is actually the most common palette, but it is one of the most popular. I hear people talking about it all the time. There are 36 of these hotshot palettes. I don't believe any are for sale at the moment. We'll, we'll take a look right in a second when we go over to Archipelago. But the last one I wanted to showcase here is these are the palettes with only one output. There's a Spider King, Duchi, and Mono. And Sorry, I went middle, left, and then right there. And these are, I think it's worth highlighting because they're like one of ones within the collection. I love the Spider King one. I think it's really cool with all the different colors there, four different colors, but all these are, are, are quite nice. And let's hop over the article real fast to take a look at palettes. Uh, again, because there are so few numbers in these palettes, it's really hard to say what holds a premium. I mean, if you look here on our on article, Hotshot palette has a 35 ether floor, but it really is one that I hear about all the time. So I'm not sure, Jared, uh, if you, you know, have you heard of any that are considered better or worse than others? It just seems like there's so many that are rare and interesting that it kind of is just up to different collectors, but curious to hear your take on that. I really think it's up to the collectors. I, I would agree with that um, in the sense that, I mean, you're saying it perfectly. Hotshot has the most quantity in, in a collection. Or sorry. Hot spot. hot spot. Yeah, I misspoke. I'm sorry, but hot shot yeah. is like right behind it. Hot spot has 36, and hot shot has exactly two right behind it. And, and even then, like hot shot is like really, really, I think beautiful too. Even though we're we're, we're both crushing on the on the hot spot, hot shot is is just as nice. And and there's a it's the third highest in the collection, and yet it's carrying a 40, 50 percent premium over the floor. I mean it. I, I don't foresee it being that way. Obviously, the one of ones that you highlighted uh, will carry a substantial premium, probably never to be tested in the market, or at least not for a while. But yeah, I, I think that this is a true representation of how, uh, because there are so many palette variations, that the aesthetics will trump, um, quote unquote, rarity. Because even to say something like hot spot, there's only 36. So less than 5% of the total collection or about 5% of the total collection or, or one particular talent. And that's the most, right? So I definitely, I think some of the more monochromatic ones, my observation is the monochromatic ones that happen to be like in the green and yellows probably sit closer to the floor. You get to see the the reds and, and blues carry a little bit of a premium. They're also a little bit more rare. And then the then all bets are off just for the um, the actual palettes with multiple colors it really comes down to eye appeal and when you do a great job highlighting this in the deca gallery even amongst one palette the variation and output is just so ludicrous that it i i wouldn't feel comfortable saying definitively a palette carries a premium because there's again it's brilliant in the way that the the palette carries so much variation in even with, amongst a palette it's it's crazy yeah, I, I think that's right. And I think that it's going to be hard to say, oh, that palette there near the floor is 
a good deal right now because the floor is so thin. Uh, in general, I would say find one you like. And if you'd like a bunch of different ones, I would err on the side of one that has a little more supply, say 20 instead of seven, because your chances of getting that are going to be better because people, I think, will still ask for a premium for rarity, even though it's sort of hard with such a, a, a low liquid trait when you have when you're looking at a specific palette. Let's move on to scene, the next category. This is perhaps the most impactful and the most obvious to tell visually. Uh, so you have, uh, I'll show you here on the honeypot palette on the left is flat. It looks like a mostly two-dimensional image, or at least like a, a plane that you're looking at. In the middle here, we have a corner, which looks like a corner. And, you know, going back to our podcast name, that's, that's the image we, we chose here. And on the far right, we have a cube. There are only 27 corners, which is four and a half percent of the collection. And there are only 10 cubes, which is 1.6% of the collection. As you can imagine, because they're so visually distinct and so rare, I actually think they look awesome. Uh, these things are locked up. Uh, I don't think any are for sale for either. I couldn't tell you what the floor price should be or would or what they would sell relative to the floor. But it's oh, I'm sorry. There's 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 a corner for sale for 250 right now. You know who knows what it would actually it might as well not be for sale. Yeah, nobody's do a pay 250. Exactly, and. Uh, you know, I actually personally, oh, here's your hotshot palette. I thought you would like these ones here, Jared. Uh, I personally prefer the corners actually over the cubes. I know that might sound sacrilege, but there's something about it teasing the fact that it's 3D without it being purely obvious that I enjoy. And maybe I'm biased because we're collector's corner, but curious to hear your thoughts. I'm 100% on board with that. I thought that was going to get, get roasted over the same thing. I prefer the corners over it. I think it's just it's brilliant how the, the algorithm wraps and it's got this uh, zoomed-in feel. It, the the pieces, even amongst a, a similar palette, have crazy different outputs. I mean, the corners are by far my favorite pieces in the collection, and it is undoubtedly very, very distinct. I mean, it's such a brilliant execution and variant on, on the typical code. I, I, I love it. It is, and it, it's a cool, it's just an out-of-the-box way to think about it. You know, if you're creating code and artistic outputs that are in this 2D image to say, well, what if we extended this in another plane? What could that look like? And, and how do you even show it? I mean, it's crazy to me. It reminds me of the Matrix when things just start bending. In, uh, it, I don't know, man. It's just, there's something about it that is, it's next level thinking. And to to be able to take that code and have the output, it's, I think it's, it, it's, for me, is the highlight of the collection. They're, they're stunning. Yes, I, I concur. Uh, very, very creative. So the last category is shading. Uh, I'm not going to spend too much time on this because it's subtle, but I wanted folks to be able to see it. Shading essentially refers to each of these little shapes here has two edges that are visible. And if you have a noon shade, those edges are black. And that gives it a 3D structure and feel to it. So here on the green spider palette on the screen here, again, on our DECA gallery, on the left here, we have the noon showing that shading. And on the right, we have bright, which has no shading at all. And here you can see the distinction. And another one I wanted to show you is if you scroll down, so Gola talks about how these corner and cube type scenes do not have noon shading. In fact, 
their shading here is on the left here, you have a bright evening. So when it's an evening or a morning palette, the shading, or sorry, if, when it's an evening or a morning shading type, then only one side of the shape will be shaded. And when it's a bright evening, like this one I'm showing here on the left, if you look real closely, you'll notice how the pink is just a little bit darker on the left side here than on the front or the right side. And, and that's the subtlety there in the shading. Whereas if you look at this corner, this is bright. The pink or I guess the reddish pink here is the same on both sides. So that's the nuance there. Uh, won't belabor the point. There, there's not, as far as I can tell, not really much of a price difference here or... I mean, there might be a little bit of a floor price difference. Uh, the morning is the most rare with 56, as you can see here, we now flipped over the article and that has a higher price, but I don't know if that's just because somebody is trying to sell a bright evening and they happen to lower it. I don't believe from what I've heard that it's really... That. I don't think that it really influences. Okay. Yep. Yep. Agreed. So those are the different traits in the metadata. There are quite a few hidden traits here. I won't go through all of them, but what is kind of cool is that Golan himself in that article he has about archetype mentions a bunch of these. And I think that's fun. You know, I've noticed just in general, a lot of the artists, they like the fact that we're looking into these different traits. And I think they have done this on purpose and they sort of want it to be like a discovery where you find different things out there. So I think that's cool. I'll start off with this first one that I saw, monochrome. This is actually one that I've heard people talk about a lot. And it's one where you just get one color output. And you can see there are three here that we picked just to give you a sense of that. No chrome is another one that we... So this is not technically no chrome, but I, I made this name up. On the left here, you can see that there's just like kind of in these, almost the, the sub-basement uh, of the shapes here, there's color. And this one on the right, there's no color at all. I think that could be a really interesting way to collect as this can happen across palettes. It's actually not related to the palette itself, which is quite interesting. And uh, Jay Paws, you talked about this one here. Uh, this is one that Golan himself brought up. He calls it by the sea, where you have these large, flat, sort of untouched areas by the algorithm within the piece. And so there are quite a few of these as well. Uh, I, you know, we haven't gone through and counted them, but that's something that perhaps we'll do in the future. Here's one that you talked about, Jay Paz. You want to talk about partial color expression? Yeah, I love this one because as I was sifting through the the different palettes, you start to notice that there's an anomaly of like one or two per palette that don't necessarily capture every single color. Um, and I think that it's a nuanced, minute aspect of it, but you know, it's definitely some rarity within it. And I love the outputs because you look at it expecting it to have a certain color input because of the palette, and then something you you know you right off the bat notice that something's missing. So, again, I think if you are willing to dig deep enough, you'll see a couple of these per palette where there's a missing color, and I think it's just beautiful. Yes, absolutely. And we'll go just quickly through these. You guys can check out our gallery to look for more, and we'd love to hear from you if there's others that you see. I call this one in the sea because it's completely filled with a color. Here on the screen now, we have long cells, which Golad pointed out, where you kind of get these corridors of shapes, which cause very interesting patterns that are quite aesthetically pleasing. He also mentions varying shape sizes. So here you kind of have medium and small size shapes, or the shapes are relatively same, similar in size. 
Whereas on the right-hand side, you can see that there are many, many big, small, medium-sized shapes. And Golod mentions that this is more rare to have this variation in shape sizes. Jared, your, your top picks. Yeah, my top picks. I think that the, the one on the left is absolutely stunning to me. Uh, it's number 269. It is a corner. And of all the corners, I mean, I literally, all my top picks would have been corners, but I, I wanted to vary it up a little bit. This is the only frameless corner. And I just thought that uh, it presented beautifully and it ends up becoming kind of like that one of one. It's the, the only corner without a frame. Uh, I think it's beautiful, it's crazy, unique. And I think it's just something that, uh, you know, is again that rarity within that rarity of the corner so the one in the center on screen is 396 and the reason why i love this is really for that that symmetry that we talked about of all the ones that had the symmetry you know i i really felt that with the the different sizing of blocks and just that the regularity of the the white squares in the middle it almost reminded me of like a chain link fence it presents that almost basket weave, predictable nature. Some of the the symmetric ones were a little too monochromatic for me, but the the, the way the color plays in this one, I just think it's absolutely stunning. And that the the order that comes to it is is beautiful. For my last selection, I had the one on the right, and this goes into that chaos. I mean, it's four ninety two for those who want to take a look at it, and the colors are amazingly erratic they're all over the place and you get that chaos feel sizing is all over the place elevation is all over the place the shading is you know plays and bounces off the colors there's just something so it's actually a palette i wouldn't have been naturally drawn to but it's just so erratic when i was sorting through the collection it felt very playful and i think that that kind of embodies the the nature of this collection so nothing crazy statistically rare about it but i just think that it's uh it's something that when you look at it, people would fall in love with it. Absolutely. I love all your picks, by the way. These are, it's a great variety too. My three on the left here is number 427. This is a cube type. It's my favorite cube type. I felt like I had to put one in. I love the colors, love the background too. The way it interfaces, really nice. The middle one in the middle here is an order. And I, this is number 206. The reason I chose this one, Jared, is it, it kind of looks like there are steps coming down here. And I thought that was really cool and unique, just sort of this visual illusion. And so it's I... optical illusion, honestly. It looks good. It is. And of all of the orders, there's so many I wanted to pick, but this one really stuck out to me. And I love this, this palette as well. Uh, it's it's uh, gorgeous. And then the one on the far right is our logo. I had to pick it. This is the collector's corner corner. Old by owned by Blockstar Vault, who was also generous enough to allow us to utilize the image and uh, Golit as well. So, Jared, let, let's hop into our favorite part. We have uh, we have some fake ether to spend. What, what are you going to buy? I mean, there's not a lot for sale, unfortunately. We have for those just listening to audio, we're on uh, Archipelago.art now to see what's on sale. But this time, I thought we'd up it to 100 ether, given the prices here. So, you got 100 ether. How do you want to spend it? I was really looking forward to a 50 challenge because it was going to be very limiting. You could do 50 uh, if you want. No, no, no. I, I, I joke. I think the the one that stood out to me right away was number 176. I think that this one is beautiful in the symmetry. It's an Atlas palette. It, it obviously layout of being order. I just 
I don't know. It sounds weird to say, but it feels very American to me with all the, like the prominent red, white, and blue with a gold border. It, it just that's right wants me to keep screaming America or something. But I, that all that aside, it just it has a beautiful, beautiful layout in the way it, it kind of all comes together. And I felt like with it being close to the floor, it was it was, it was brilliant. The second one I would pick is 474. I I can't. It's right next to it at 30.5. It's cold duo, you know. I can't tell you, tell you guys, it's one of my favorite palettes, and then not pick it up with a, such a, a small premium close to the floor. Okay. That's sixty. Um, I think. Yeah, big. If I had to, maybe it's two forty-eight. I'd pick up for forty just to spend a hundred, or or what I'd really do is probably um, jump into number thirty-nine and uh, put in a rapty bid on it. I don't know. It just, you know. Being a Cal Berkeley grad, that blue and gold, it just pops and it's got that beautiful elevated blue squares. It's the symmetry again. I, I would try to put a rap teeth bit in and, and lowball that. And it was kind of like a, a chicken shit response to, to spending my hundred, but that's kind of how I'm going to skate the system. No, it's it's reasonable. And as I look through these, I mean, there's just so few on sale. I'm going to have to pick a few of the ones you did. And I would probably go closer to the floor because I don't feel strongly about some of these that are above 50 ether. Uh, so I I would pick up 248. I love this one. I love the blue. I love the monochrome ones. I won't even try to hide it. And the monochrome order is just hmm, awesome. So that's one of them I would grab. And then I would actually grab this one, number seven. It's a low ID number, which some people like. It's also going for 30. So that would get me to 70. And I would pick up your 176 as well. Uh, that one is just, ooh, I love it. It's uh, You're right. The, the way the colors fit and actually the yellow border fits really well with it. It's, uh, again, quite, quite, quite nice. So that uh, that is Archetype. Do you have any uh, parting thoughts, J-Paws? My parting thoughts is, and I'll sound like a broken record in the sense that this is really one because of all the variations in the palette really sifting through the collection as a whole and, and familiarizing yourself with it. If you are looking to to buy, would I think do an, just do a magnitude of, of help for you because it, it is such an incredible collection and the palettes are so dynamic. I mean, I, I honestly sifted through the collection twice on, on art blocks site just uh, in preparation for this. And, and I was amazed every single time my, my list of grails was it was just it ran on forever. So, um, and then you know if you really are looking to get into the collection, it's obviously a high entry point, but you're going to have to grind and find some collectors and try to do some off market or private deals because there is just low inventory on this, and, and it's going to run in no time. I think the other thing I always try to drop some alpha on is I think that there's uh, you know Decagon obviously is a lower entry point for anybody who's looking to to potentially collect Gullet, and then the other one is season two of grails not to always just keep pumping grails gullet had a, an output that is a huge departure in my opinion from anything that we're seeing but uh, you know i think the floor on it right now is about 0.60 so definitely a lower entry point if you're looking to collect a almost like an addition type of of gullet so um, yeah let me see if i can pull you and i are both obsessed oh. with decagon i think that it's um it's a great way to especially even control to some degree, the, the output and what you're looking at. Oh, look, it's right there, 0.72. So somebody must have bought the one that I'm currently looking at and I haven't refreshed. Here but, we go. 
crude figures. Yeah. That's right. And and we had an, uh, a full episode on Decagons, which are this infinite algorithm that's associated with the online gallery Deca. Uh, and yeah, I pulled it up here on the screen and open see You can see they look very similar to uh, archetypes uh, in general. So it's a, a similar algorithm, but obviously a, a variation on that. And there is, uh, I want to add to that, uh, Jay Paws, Paper Armada, which was an art blocks yep. playground that he released afterwards. Three, a collection of 3,000, really interesting, a lot of uh, low price points there and a lot of variety. And, and, you know, perhaps we'll do an episode on that at some point, but definitely worth checking out if you want to capture something from Galad. Uh, he also has some one of ones. We'll put it in the show notes. Uh, they're all sold out, but he does release them. And so that's something that you could keep an eye out for. Obviously, those are going to go for quite a premium, but in general, that's something that folks could take a look at. And for me, just to wrap up the my overall sentiment on this collection, I, I think it's really cool. And you know, the more I learn about these artists and, and Gallet, especially, I, the more I just enjoy the process and what they're building. And you know, I can't wait to see what comes out beyond and how he, you know, if he chooses to continue to build upon this uh, process that he uses for creating this awesome, awesome art. And with that, I want to say thank you to everybody for listening. Would love to hear your feedback. Please subscribe, comment, anything, as I mentioned. Don't re- hesitate to reach out for help. We're doing this because we've gone through the challenges of trying to figure out what to buy and how to think about these things. And so we want to help you with that. Any uh, parting thoughts from you, j Oh, and, and, and uh, actually, again, you can find me at Aston Cloud on Twitter and Discord. I go by P. Where can folks find you and hear about 8NAP Fund, Jared? Uh, if you want more info on 8NAP Fund, DM me directly. And you can reach me on Twitter at Jared, J-A-R-E-D underscore pause, P-O-Z. Twitter, uh, sorry, Discord would then be J underscore pause. Uh, DMs are open and I'd love to talk. And again, if you guys aren't interested in the fun, which is perfectly okay, then we just love feedback. And, and if we can help you with targeting and hunting down some of these grail pieces for you, we want to be uh, of assistance and help in any way we can. So appreciate all the time if you guys have made it this far in the podcast and look forward to hearing from each and every one of you absolutely thanks again everybody we'll see you next time thank you for tuning into collector's corner we hope you enjoyed this episode and you found it useful in your collecting journey please check out our website www.collectorscorner.xyz for show notes and digital art galleries related to this episode you can also follow us on twitter at collectors underscore xyz If you'd like to help us out, please leave us a five-star review on our website or your favorite podcasting platform and or leave some feedback on how we can do better. The Collector's Corner team and guests are not registered investment advisors. All views expressed on this podcast are personal opinions and are not specific inducements to make particular investments or investment strategies and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. This show is solely for informational and entertainment purposes only. Before making any financial decisions, please consult a professional.